Welcome to the Gospel Clarity Podcast, where we explore how the story of Jesus changes everything. In order for the gospel to be central, it must be functional. I'm your host, Mark Smith, and my name is Andrew Arthur. Thanks for joining us. We're glad you're here. Welcome to Gospel Clarity, Episode 1. We are glad that you're here with us. Andrew, how are you feeling? I'm feeling well, Mark. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We had a great uh, Sunday this last week where uh, the theme that we were all preaching on was lostness and how Jesus meets us in our lostness. Uh, I thought that was pretty pretty rewarding and pretty. Yeah, cool. it was a lot of fun. For those of you who may not know, the Hallows Church is one church that exists in three expressions. So on a given Sunday, we have three worship gatherings in different parts of the city. And if you'd like to listen to those sermons that we just had this week, along with the series and judges that we just finished up, you can access that through the Hallows Church podcast, which you can find on iTunes or SoundCloud, and give it a listen. Episode one. Andrew, what are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to talk about this idea of how cultivating gospel, uh, excuse me, cultivating gospel clarity is a communal project of sorts, that the gospel, uh, gospel clarity is to be called out in the context of real, tangible, committed friendships and relationships that are uh, centered on Jesus and that are centered on a shared faith in Jesus. And so in order to gain gospel clarity and to cultivate it, we need uh, community to speak into that process, to uh, ask questions about that process, and to spur us on in that direction. So first, let's start with maybe asking the question, why is community important? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I believe it all starts with who God is and what it means to be created in the image of God. If we consider uh, how the creation narrative unfolds in Genesis chapter 1, where God says, let us make man in our own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female it seems that the image of God involves, it's not entirely defined by, but it certainly involves this idea of being relational and having the capacity for interpersonal relationships, which leads to community. After all, God would tell um, Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply because he wanted his image to fill out the earth. And as the image would multiply and fill out the earth, community would be formed, shared life would occur. Uh, societies and cultures and civilizations would rise up uh, as people learn to relate to one another and recognize that we're created, in a sense, to need one another, that interdependency that only happens in community uh, is, is a big deal. Yeah, there's something about community that brings out a new side of you or something that is a unique side of you, maybe. There's an interesting thing about um, friendships that you see that certain friendships can uh, bring something out. One friendship can bring something out in you, and then another friendship can bring something different out in you, right? That's something kind of similar that I I remember C.S. Lewis uh, talking about in terms of friendship and uh, friendships within a community. When you have all of these interactions, um, I think it's a pretty amazing design that God had set up in this um, friendships interacting within a community. Mm -hmm. Right. We're created to connect. We're created to connect with God in relationship. We're created to connect with one another in relationship. 
And um, all of that uh, assumes community. And the big idea behind a community is that these are collections of people that are unified around something. There's some bonding agent that, that forms a community. And I think it's fairly obvious, like to say that human beings crave community and that we're created for community, it's kind of obvious now. I think everybody is recognizing this. I think the pendulum in our culture has moved from being hyper-individualistic to having a more communal uh, mentality or communal um, uh, recognizing that we are communal creatures. You see this in how pop, how cities are booming in our country, how people are flocking to cities, and you have these densely populated areas because there's just some pull towards people that is um, noticeable in our culture today. And within a city where like is that's as dense as Seattle, you have all the this huge population, and then you have um, within that population, little subpopulations and little collections of people who are rallying around different affinities. They're rallying around uh, maybe their career ambitions. They're rallying around some. There, there's some unifying bonding agent for uh, communities and um, for all the various communities that are populating a city like ours right now. The distinction about the Christian community is that our bonding agent is something that is utterly different. Like you don't go to church because you are looking necessarily for shared affinities or shared hobbies. You go to church and you plug into a spiritual community because of the the object that this community is worshiping and the object that's drawing these people together in, in a unified communal experience. And so for the church and for those who are following Jesus, Jesus is drawing us into uh, proximity with other people who are trusting Jesus. And so the unifying bonding agent of our communal experience is Jesus. And so the gospel then becomes the whole reason our community exists as Christians. So what counsel could be given to someone who is approaching their faith with more of an individualistic mentality? Mm -hmm. That's an important question, and I think it's a huge question that needs to be addressed in the church today, especially in America, because there are there's still remnants of the previous cultural priorities of privatization of faith, of, of very much a me and Jesus mentality, where as long as I've got Jesus, I'm good, and then I'm going to go about my life without much concern or without much interest in what Jesus may be doing in other people's lives, or really the collective calling that we share as Christians. I'm thinking even when I've had so many conversations with Christians over the years who were interested in discerning God's will, and it was always, what is God's will for my life? And it's very much individualistic, and although I believe God has plans and purposes on the individual level, I think our obsession with discerning God's will for the individual was a reflection of the cultural, of the American culture's priorities than it was of biblical, gospel-centered, gospel-saturated Christianity. And the reason for that is because uh, it's clear that when Jesus lived and he died and he rose again, he wasn't just pursuing an individual, he was pursuing a community. And he didn't just die for a person, he died for a people. He always envisioned bringing people together and forming a family of faith out of them, a family that would be diverse, a family that would be rich and robust, a family that would be interdependent, a family that would, in which members would know one another and be known by each other. I mean, Jesus had a communal 
vision for his death and resurrection the whole time. The church is referred to as kind of the mystery of God in the book of Ephesians, that, that, that the, the revelation of the church where different people would find in common a shared faith in Jesus, that that mystery was planned out by God from before the foundations of the earth. So the communal aspects of Christianity have been grossly understated in American Christianity, and we need to grab it back. And so I would start by counseling disciples to, to consider our collective calling as followers of Jesus. And I would tell them over and over and over again, Jesus didn't just die for a person, but a people, not an individual, but a community. And he want, and there are things that he wants to do in us, not just what he wants to do in me. Now, there's a passage that comes to mind in light of this conversation. It's how John would open up his first epistle in 1 John chapter 1. And he dials in on this communal aspect of the gospel and and reminding us that Jesus is a shared Savior and that we are to enjoy him together. And this is what he reads, and this is what he writes in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's referring to his firsthand experience with Jesus, and it was an experience that he shared with Peter and the other disciples as they interacted with the person of Jesus. Then he goes on, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And so there's a few things that that are noteworthy about what John is writing there. One, he's, he's remembering his experience with Jesus, but he's remembering it in, a, in communal terms. It's not just mm. his own individual relationship with Jesus that he's reflecting upon. It was his experience of Jesus in fellowship with the other disciples, the we's that are present in this text or that are re- uh, referred to in this passage. But then he also, uh, when he's addressing his readers, all the you's that he's using here are plural pronouns. He's referring to all the readers together. And he's inviting them into a shared fellowship. He's saying, look, we're enjoying the Father. We're enjoying the Son. We want you in on this. Join us in enjoying God. Let's enjoy Him together. Yeah. It's not just me. I'm enjoying God. I'm right. here. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't John walking on a hiking trail all by himself, meditating upon who God is, so that that would become the sum total of his spiritual experience, because he knows that's not what Jesus came for. He didn't come to make us solo hikers. He came to draw us into a shared fellowship, a shared life. And he would even point out that there are things that he's writing these things so that his joy, and not just his, but the joy of all the apostles, all the disciples that were ministering, um, that had ministered in the name of Jesus. And he's saying, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And so there was an incompleteness to John's enjoyment of Jesus that could only be brought full circle as others join in, which is a striking concept when you consider that if that my enjoyment of Jesus is incomplete unless others are filling up what was lacking in my joy and bringing it full circle by showing me more about who Jesus is as we interact with one another and as we cultivate gospel clarity together. It rounds out our enjoyment of Jesus together. And so the communal aspect of the gospel is 
is a big deal. And uh, I fear and I worry that it's been grossly understated, if not neglected, in the regular rhythms of the American Christian church life. Yeah, I I mean, and also, you know, when you're talking about that, I'm also considering how we approach something as simple as a Bible study within, you know, a church setting, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, are we, when we're reading something and we're interpreting the same truth together, it's going to impact and apply to us in different ways. And through us talking about that through that shared experience, only then are we able to see the full function of the gospel. But let's go back maybe real quick and let's talk about the individual within that community. Mm-hmm. Um, community can be kind of hard. Mm-hmm. It can be a little tough sometimes. How would you maybe approach them and encourage them to uh, continue to be in the community that God's called them to be in? Mm-hmm. That's a good question, and I think a lot of it has to do with um, it. It boils down. It always seems to come back to this idea that um, what is the bonding agent of the church? What is the what is the unifying aspect of our communal engagement? And in the church, that's always Jesus. And if Jesus is what we have in common, and as Jesus becomes our chief passion, then we're going to find those other things, uh, though they're important, they're enjoyable, but they're less definitive about where we plug in and they're less determining, uh, they're less defining of our experience with that community. And that is one thing I have been encouraged time and time again by in my uh, missional community and even before that in other churches when we would call it a small group or a Bible study. The shared experiences of our faith, though they're different in some ways, can be similar. And you find encouragement, you find comfort Mm -hmm. when you're able to talk openly about something that, about how your faith is interacting in your life. And then all of a sudden someone else speaks up and says, oh yeah, me too, Mm -hmm. except it looks like this. You know, it's a little different. Right. I mean, you just take, for example, how Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. Uh, The sins that Jesus has forgiven me of are different, perhaps, from the sins that he's forgiven you of. So what we share in common isn't the particular sins that we've been saved from or forgiven of. What we share in common is our experience of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And it is our experience of forgiveness that draws us into an uplifting community, an encouraging community, a positive community who has been forgiven and are reveling in the fact that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. Right. So it doesn't negate your your story and how you came to faith and what Jesus has done in you personally, individually. Yeah. Individually, yeah. But what he's done in you personally and individually, he has not left you alone in that. He's brought you into close proximity with other people who've experienced the same forgiving work of Jesus in their lives. And so what we do is we come together and we revel in that. We celebrate that. Yeah, which is a great comfort. I mean, to to know that Christ sent us the Holy Spirit and he 
in the church and in community together are we able to flourish in those relationships. He didn't leave us alone to mm-hmm. to work out our faith by ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, how confusing does that get? I mean, I don't know about you in times when I've tried to do something alone on my own, uh, tried to study something without any kind of help or talking to anyone about it. Normally, there's always going to be one area that I'm a little off on and that I need correction and I need someone to speak into. Mm-hmm. And, um, or maybe it's even something that I'm not seeing, right. um, which is, you know, just shows that our faith, there is an individual side to it. There is God sure. growing us in, and uh, yes, like you said, he's forgiving our sins, but he also has forgiven the sins of everybody else, of all these people. And with that being said, Andrew, sometimes we, you know, we just talked about how community is kind of difficult. Community can be challenging. Maybe sometimes, I, what I've heard at least is someone say, uh, the church is not exactly what I expected it to be. Or I really was excited to go and uh, be a part of this uh, little fellowship over here, this uh, MC, but, you know, it's not really meeting my expectations of what I wanted. How would you, how would we address that in terms of, you know, gospel community? Right. Yeah, it is very common for people to grow disillusioned with Christian community, disillusioned with churches, disillusioned with small groups, whatever form their Christian community is taking. It's very common for disillusionment to arise. And disillusionment basically happens when our expectations um, do not line up with our experiences. And when our expectations don't line up with our experiences, then we grow disillusioned. The challenge of that is that the expectations that we're bringing into the community aren't necessarily drawn from the scriptures, and they're not necessarily blooming out of the the seed of the gospel that has taken root in our hearts. Usually it's other things that are speaking into our expectations on what community should be, what community should be doing, and it's not always rooted in the gospel. And so my counsel on that is that we want to encourage disciples to fill out their expectations with gospel realities. And that means that when you step into a community that's rallying around Jesus and the shared forgiveness of sins and the shared eternal life that they've been given, we have to realize that we are sinners saved by grace. And so we step into the community. If our expectation is, oh, this is a Christian community, everybody's going to be right, we're going to grow disillusioned because that's not what, that's not gospel reality that's informing that expectation. Gospel reality is saying we're sinners, we're saved by grace, and we're now undergoing a profound process of transformation. It's called what the, the theological term for it is sanctification. And everybody is at different stages and in different seasons of their maturation of their faith. And if we don't have a category for that, then we're going to step into a Christian community. We're going to attend a church. Somebody's going to say something that we don't like. They're going to do something that causes us to raise our eyebrows or doesn't match the expectation we've carried into that setting. And then we're going to bail. We're going to grow disillusioned. We're going to grow frustrated. And we're going to, um, uh, I think, what will happen is we, if we end up leaving or bailing too soon, we're going to be doing ourselves a disservice because we're not pressing in and seeing how God uses the friction of, of people in process to help us grow in our understanding of the gospel, our appreciation of the gospel, and ultimately our enjoyment of the gospel. Yeah. 
Okay, so you used a word, you said friction. Andrew, can you think of any passages in Scripture that talk about this friction within a gospel community? <laughs> um, I do think that there is, there, there's an example in Jesus's original 12 disciples. It's not talked about explicitly or forwardly, but I think there's enough understanding of what the cultural setting was like when the gospels were written and when those events transpired to suggest that Jesus really pressed people to endure friction in relationships. For example, Jesus called two men to follow him. One man was named, well, he called several, but two guys I want to point out. Uh, one guy was named Matthew, and he was a tax collector. Matthew, the tax collector, was considered to be a traitor to the Jewish people. He was a Jew who was working and serving the, the Roman officials and the Roman government, and tax collectors were notorious for being kind of sleazeballs, and they were constantly uh, gouging people for to fatten their own pockets and to widen their profit margins and this, that, and the other. And so, and there was a there was a, a subset of people in that culture that really hated tax collectors. Most of the Jews despised tax collectors, but there was one group that actually tried to <laughs> kill the tax collectors and Uh-oh. in their efforts to overthrow the Roman government. And these were known as the Zealots. The Zealots were Jewish nationalists who uh, really loved the Jewish people. They loved the nation of Israel. They did not want to be occupied by the Roman. Uh, government. They weren't necessarily looking to a Messiah like Jesus to lead them out of that. They were hoping for another political military Messiah who would come in and go to war with Rome. And so a guy that Jesus called to follow him in that original 12 was named Simon. And the, the qualifier, Simon the Zealot, is attached to his name, I believe, twice in the Gospels. And so you think about what Jesus was doing. He's forming a new community to provide an alternative view of what life can look like in this world, saying, this is what my kingdom is going to consist of. And he takes a tax collector and a zealot who despised each other, who were at war with one another, and he put them in the same missional community. He put them in the same small group, he put them in the same uh, church, the same assembly of disciples who were following him together. And I would imagine that friction may ha- had to be overcome. But yet, at the same time, in John chapter 13, Jesus would make a statement like, the world is going to know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. And he was saying that to a group that consisted of a former tax collector and a former zealot who are now living in community together, following Jesus at the same time and learning to love one another. Jesus says that that love that you guys are showing for one another, that's otherworldly. That's different. People don't love like that. And that's the gospel that's going to be made visible in your community. And that's what I want to see replicated time and time again in Christian community throughout the ages. Yeah, that love, it almost is a bit more raw. You know, there's um, there's a, uh, it's not all sunshine and flowers. Sure. You know, you don't see Simon and Matthew skipping down the fields together playing their favorite song and instantly are friends. There's a a process there. There's Mm -hmm. learning how to love. But I think, uh, you know, when you say that, it makes me consider, I wonder how long it took for them to recognize that this love was otherworldly. Maybe there's a process to that Mm -hmm. that took some time for them to see. Mm -hmm. But Jesus could identify Right away. Yeah, and I think you see the same dynamics playing out in the early church. 
So a lot of the letters of the New Testament were written to help people who are different from one another learn how to follow Jesus together. And so the book of Ephesians is a huge emphasis on the unification of Jews and Gentiles in the church and that they were to uh, learn to love one another, although there's a long history of the Jewish people looking down on the Gentiles, of the Gentiles ridiculing the Jewish people, and yet the gospel came in to tear the barrier that existed between them down and form a new people, a new society that doesn't share their race in common, that doesn't share their cultural heritage in common, that doesn't share their political persuasions in common. The only thing they shared in common was Jesus. And Jesus said, this is what my church is going to be. It's going to be comprised of sinners saved by grace who may have nothing else in common, but if they have me in common, that should be enough. And when they learn to find that Jesus is enough for the community to hold fast and to stay together through thick and thin, to wrestle through various forms of disillusionment together and not to bail, when, when, when the church, when a community gets there, that's when the world's going to take notice. That's when those who do not yet know the gospel are going to see a visible expression or the visible fruit of the gospel that is the formation of such a community. Mm. Yeah, so Andrew, what are, some, what are some good takeaways that we can leave with in this conversation? Yeah, it's a big conversation, and we'll talk more about it in the future. Yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot that we could dissect. Mm-hmm. And so if if questions have been kicked up in people's minds, we would encourage them to submit those questions so that we can address them more head-on in future podcasts. They can do that by emailing mark at hallowschurch.org and submitting questions that way, Um, and and we'll follow up with that. But a couple of takeaways that I would encourage in light of this conversation is, one, um, I would encourage the individual to uh, give thought to the shared dynamics of the Christian faith. Uh, if they haven't considered how the gospel is a shared faith and how Jesus is a shared Savior, to give some concentrated time to meditate upon that, to think about that reality, maybe read First John, the whole letter, not just the opening passage I shared a moment ago, no, that's but just book. sit with it and look at all mm-hmm. the communal um, the, the, the communal elements that are present in that book alone that emphasize the love that we are to share mm-hmm. with each other. And, um, and we all know that it's easier to love Uh, people generically and in general than it is to love an individual uh, specifically and particularly. But when you step into community, you're not just, that's where the rubber meets the road and whether or not you're growing as a loving person. Because you're not just loving people in general terms. You're loving persons who have baggage, who are works in process, and you're learning to love through all of that. And that's a rich and beautiful thing. And a second takeaway that I would encourage uh, concerns the disciple who may be looking for a community to plug into. They're looking for a family of faith. They're looking for a church. I would encourage that disciple to sit down with a notepad and a pen and write down all the things that they right now are looking for in a church. And then I would encourage them to go to, let's say, the book of Ephesians. Open up the book of Ephesians and read that entire book. It can be done in probably... 15, 20 minutes, you could read the whole book of Ephesians. And then measure. Measure the content of that book with the expectations and the criteria that you've listed out for yourself as it relates to what you're looking for in a community you're looking for in a church. And then um, exercise faith 
to scratch out the things that are non-essential, to purge your list of things that are more personal preference, that are more uh, rooted in an expectation that's that's not um, flowing from the gospel. It's flowing from another experience in society or or it's coming from another source other than the gospel. Yeah, which might be hard might be hard, but I think it will serve your soul well, and it will help you find a church, I think, sooner to grow in and to thrive in, Um, and you'll be better equipped to plug into a community because you'll be carrying in criteria and expectations that are rooted in the gospel and not rooted in personal preference or rooted in some other affinity that we tend to gravitate towards when we're looking for community or church. Right. Even... I think the person looking for a church that left a church and maybe has expectations and wants to uh, come to another church that was just like their past church, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think this would be a a great uh, tool to do or a great practice. Mm -hmm. Um, And you could even, I would even recommend talking to your past community about this and showing them Okay, these are. This is what I'm looking for in a new church. Uh, whatever faith community you have, share with that because mm-hmm. sometimes it might be kind of difficult for us to see um, when we're reading Ephesians and we're looking at our notepad and we're looking mm-hmm. at our notes. Sometimes an extra voice in there Absolutely. could help us in determining. Okay, maybe that's not what you should be looking for. This is what you should be looking for. Right, and. Um... Well, in a situation like that where somebody may be transitioning out of a strong church where they've had a great experience and growing together with other Christians and, and falling in love with Jesus and and seeing their faith being formed. And so there's a lot of positives that they're taking out of, of that. They, they've kind of maybe the Lord has brought them to a new city and they had to leave a faith family behind. And now they're looking for for another church. I would encourage them to not so much look for a duplicate of what they had before. But consider how they might be um, able to enhance and to contribute to the healthy development of a church that might not be where their previous church is and where their experience was, but, um, but they can bring that good flavor and they can bring that good experience into the community humbly to contribute to the health of another to the health of another family of faith. And of course, there are other takeaways that we haven't been able to dive into for the sake of time uh, in this episode. Like we, we need to talk more about the friction dynamic and is there ever a, a right time to, to transition out of a community of faith and explore another one? Does the Lord ever lead us uh, in that direction? And if so, what, what, are, what are some of the criteria for that? And so there's a whole world of conversations that need to happen around the gospel and community. And for us as a church, starting next Sunday, we're going to start a new series uh, focusing on the church and how the church makes God's grace visible to the watching world by studying the book of Ephesians. And so we'll start that next week. And that is going to give us um, some more direction as we talk, as we continue exploring the gospel and community over the next several episodes. Yeah. And why don't you tell them what we're going to be talking about here and taking from Ephesians and bringing it into this podcast. So yeah, so we'll, we'll, as we're studying the book of Ephesians together, we're going to see God's design for the church, what he intended when he prepared for the church to be created as a result of the gospel and, and what type of community the church should be. And we're going to be diving into those themes to 
with the hope that studying the book of Ephesians will elevate our love for the church and our appreciation of God's design for the church in the world. And um, I know I know churches can be tough places. I know churches wound people. I know churches can be quite dysfunctional. I know churches can take their eyes off the gospel and and forget to keep the main thing the main thing ultimately. And and so the, uh, I recognize that church isn't a lovely concept for many people, uh, in, including Christians. And so our hope is to take that stuff head on in the study of Ephesians and to help kind of peel back some of the superfluous stuff that we've layered onto the church and get to the core, the beautiful core of what God designed the church to be. 